day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. It's wonderful to have you here on the Dolby Anglican Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon focuses on 2 Samuel 7 and is part of our Joy to the World series as we figure out who will bring us home. Enjoy the sermon. The first reading comes from 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 to 11 and 16. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved, with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people should not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning, and have done so so ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you, and your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, Please pray for me as I pray for you as we open up God's word. Loving Lord God, we thank you that indeed your love is deep and it is abiding. And thank you that your love makes its home in our hearts. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hear your word and that you would breathe your love into our lives this Advent. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, Over this Advent series, we've um, been looking at some existential questions. Um, We've been looking at um, who's going to save us. Um, We've looked at where salvation will come from. Uh, And this week, our question is, who will bring us home? And I'd like to start by asking you a question. Where is home for you? Now, I struggle with this question because although I've lived at Six College Crescent Dolby for almost two years now, I know that I'm not yet a local. 
When I go to Butter's Warehouse and try to find a tool, I don't know the name of all the staff there, just like the locals do. When I look, open up town and country newspaper, uh, I don't know every second person on those pages like the locals do. And I still don't know when I look out at a paddock whether it's planted with sorghum or corn like a lot of the locals do. I feel at home in Dolby, but if you were to ask where is home for you, my mind would still flip back to places and instances where I felt at home. This Christmas, some of us are heading home and some of us can't get home. And for some of us, home won't feel like home because someone is missing this year. In 2 Samuel 7, King David is feeling almost at home. He's conquered Goliath. Uh, he's become king of Israel. He's taken Jerusalem and beaten his enemies. And now he's sitting in a palace made of the finest Lebanese cedar. But there's something missing. In 2 Samuel 7, we read, After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. David, like many of us, is searching for home, and he thinks the key to making himself at home is to build God a house. Now, when you come to God like this with prayers and plans, there's only two real responses you can expect. Only two. God will either say yes, or God will say better. Today we're going to see how God responded to David's building plan, and we're going to see how God fulfills our hunger for home. So let's look at David's building plan first. When David announces his building plan, Nathan, his prophet, says, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Now, this is a rash thing to say for a man of God. But Nathan thinks, well, what could go wrong? David's plan of uniting Jerusalem as the religious capital, as well as the political and military capital, sounds like a swell idea. And so he says, whatever you want to do, go ahead and do it. But the Bible tells us that while Nathan is down with this idea, God's not so keen. In verse 5 we read, God saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. God gives us a little bit of a history lesson. And he takes us back to the very beginning. While God while building God a house today might seem like a really dumb idea, David wasn't completely off the mark. And with this history lesson, we learn why. When the people of Israel left slavery in Egypt, God went before them in a cloud by day and 
in a pillar of fire by night. At nighttime, the people would set up their tents around the pillar of fire. And when daybreak came, God would move on, the cloud would move on, and the people would pack up their tents and follow God to the land that he promised them. In Exodus 25, while the people are still following this fire cloud, God speaks to their leader, Moses. He tells them to get together their finest laborers and pull together their gold, silver, and fine cloth and build a tent. Here God is showing the people that although he's the God of the universe, the God who parts the seas, the God who shakes the mountains, he is also a personal God. A God who wants to live amongst his people. Now, of course, there was never any perception that God could be contained in a tent. But this tent was symbolic of God bunking down, God living, God tabernacling among his people. Along with the instructions for the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, God tells the people to create a box called the Ark of the Covenant. In this ark, the people are to put um, the stone tablets on which were written the Ten Commandments. They are also to put Moses' staff, which he parted the seas with, as well as some souvenirs from their time in the wilderness. These are put there to remind the people of God's goodness and how good God has been to them in the past and how much wonder he has in store. From that day onwards, the Ark of the Covenant was housed in the tabernacle, and God tabernacled or camped among his people. When they moved closer to the promised land, the priests would pack up the tabernacle, and they would lift the Ark, and then off they would go, with God leading them to the next camping ground. In every camping spot, the tabernacle would be set up in the center of the camp, And while it remained there, the people could go down there to offer sacrifices. They could have their legal issues heard there. And they could just sit and pray with God. Can you imagine how awesome it would be if you and I could go down to the center of Dolby and pray at God's tent today? We could go down and just chat to God and spend time with God. How good would that be? Well, later in the sermon, we're going to learn that, funnily enough, God has done something much, much better than that. But more about that later. When the Israelites finally enter into the promised land, it's again God who leads the way. The priests carry the ark in front of them, and God leads them into battle, where they drive out the hostile people who live there. Wars rage, but finally the promised land is taken, and after some more adventures, finally the ark comes to rest at a place called Shiloh, where the people set up the tabernacle, and there God lives for generations. The people build their houses all over Israel, but they keep coming back to Shiloh, and to the ark, and to the tabernacle, where they can meet with God, where they are reminded that although they worship the God of the universe, they worship a God who lives among them. Now time goes by and God raises up a king for the people, King David, 
and he takes Jerusalem as his capital. Now, Jerusalem is a great fortified city on a hill. The people of God have left their tents behind, and now they have a glorious, growing capital city where the king lives in a wonderful palace. But God is still living behind curtains in a dinky little tent in the sticks. Do you see the problem here? David sees the problem. And while he hatches a building plan, God says, no, I have something better in mind. In 2 Samuel 7 verses 5 to 7, we read, Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? David's building plan is audacious. It's almost condescending. God, I'm so good and I'm at the top of my career, so how about I, how about I build you a house? But God isn't angry with David. He rejects his building plan, but he simply says, Look, Davo, I've lived among your people for many generations, and I've never asked any of the glorious leaders that I've raised up to build me a house. And I haven't asked you to do that. Building my house is not your project. In 1 Chronicles 28, we find out that the second reason that David can't build God's house is because he has blood on his hands. He's killed too many people to be the right guy for the job. God recognizes David's initiative. But remember, when you pray to God, the response is always yes or better. And God has something better in mind. So let's look at God's building plan. In the second half of our passage, we learn that God has a building plan for David. He says to David, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. God reminds David of his dealings with him and his people. He reminds David of how faithful he's been again and again. God has always provided for David, not David for God. God gave his people a land to live in. God has given them peace. God is much bigger than David gives him credit for. And now he's about to blow David's mind with the blueprints he shows him next. David won't build a house for God. God will build a house for David. In verse 11, we read on. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up for you an offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God answers no to David's prayer and then tells him, I have something better in mind. Here we see that God promises David a house. Now, a house can mean a physical building where you live, but it can also mean a royal line, like the house of Windsor or the house of Stuart. Here, God promises David something and someone who will come and establish an eternal house for his family. This must have boggled David's mind. All he wanted to do was build a permanent structure for the tabernacle. But God's building plan blows this out of the water. It is so much better. Now reading on in the Old Testament, we see that God keeps his promise to David's son, Solomon, who ends up building the temple. But Solomon goes tropo and marries 2,000 women. 2,000 women. You'd think on the, at the thousandth marriage, you'd be saying, uh, I don't know if I do. <laughs> this seems a bit much. <laughs> but anyway, Solomon just loses his mind and goes after uh, the gods of his wives. And the kingdom after Solomon is split as a result. Now, in this series, we've seen, uh, we've, we've been following the book of Isaiah later in the story of the Bible, and we've seen how Isaiah prophesies the downfall of Jerusalem, mainly because of the seeds of dissent sown by Solomon and his descendants. And sadly, we see Isaiah prophesying that because of the nation's rebellion, not just Solomon's rebellion, but all of the subsequent kings and of all of the people, Solomon's temple will be destroyed. (coughs) It may have seemed like Solomon had ruined all things for everyone and lost David's everlasting throne. But as we learned in our gospel reading, God's promises never fail. God's promises cannot be thwarted. God's promise that someday someone would come and establish an everlasting line for David will come true. Thousands of years after David and Solomon, a young woman named Mary returns to her hometown, David's town, Bethlehem. She wasn't rich, she wasn't famous, and though she belonged to a royal line, no one really knew and no one really cared. She had no building plan, but longed for God to do something to free her people. So one day, an angel visits her and tells her she is part of God's building plan. The angel says to her in Luke 31. Luke 1 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom, his house, His family will never end. 
Now, this is probably the most terrifying message a young woman could possibly receive. Oh, yeah, you're pregnant to the king of the universe. Good luck, Mama Mary. (laughs) But God's promises can't fail. And it's amazing that God's people held on to this prophecy given to David that an eternal throne would be established. And God chooses the most inspiring, godly, and loving woman around. And she rejoices that God in his love would use a humble woman like her. Jesus becomes that fulfillment. He is the son of David who ushers in the eternal kingdom and establishes God's eternal throne. But he won't be the type of king we expect. He will rule with humility and grace. And where other kings had maimed and destroyed, Jesus will heal and Jesus will build. Where other kings had to take for themselves, Jesus will lay down his life for others. Jesus' crown will be made of thorns. And his throne will be a Roman cross. His resurrection will prove that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And you and I are proof that his kingdom has outlasted Rome and all other thrones. In 2 Samuel 7.15, God tells David, My love will never be taken away from him. This is the descendant he's prophesying about. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. He's talking about Christ. Here we see that God's love triumphs over our sinfulness. God is faithful to his promises even where our promises are broken. While we try to make our homes in all sorts of places, only Jesus can bring us to our true home. Only Jesus can bring about God's promise of home. And that is what we celebrate at Advent, friends. We live in a time between Jesus' coronation and his return to claim his rightful throne on earth. Right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. But one day, he will return to the world he created and heaven and earth will rush together in a union of never-ending love. Any day now, Jesus promises that he will return and heaven and earth will become one. Friends, this is why, for followers of Jesus, heaven is our home. One of the reasons why we feel this dysphoria, why the, one of the reasons why we don't quite feel at home all the time is because this world... Without Jesus is not our home. So I ask you again, friends, where is home for you? Well, home is wherever Jesus is. For Christians, 
God lives in our hearts. He tabernacles. He dwells in our hearts. Our hearts are his home. Our hearts are his throne. And by the Holy Spirit, he tabernacles. He lives in the hearts of every believer. And this is why we strive to become more like Jesus. So our hearts would be a fitting home for his presence. This is why we meet together in small groups and in large groups to encourage one another and to remind one another of God's promise of home. God makes his home in our hearts and one day, either on the day of your death or on the day Jesus returns, you will be at home with the Lord. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, we see a new Jerusalem described. But there is no tabernacle or temple in the city because Jesus himself is its temple. Jesus himself is at the center. Here is where God and people meet. Friend, if you're not yet a Christian, my hope is that you will find your home in Jesus and that you will open up your heart to God's Holy Spirit that he might live inside of you. Home isn't where the heart is. Home is where Jesus is. Who will bring us home? God will. And so I urge you to pray with me right now that God's promise of home would be made a reality in your heart today. Let's pray. Generous Jesus, indwelling Holy Spirit, mighty creator, ever-living God, we thank you for your promise to David. And we thank you for your promise that if we open our hearts to you, you will come and live inside of them. Lord, we long for the day when we'll be able to see you face to face. But we thank you that when we pray to you, your response is either yes or it is better. And so we pray, Lord, that you would come and live in our hearts this Advent that we would experience your love this Advent and that you would bring us towards our eternal home. We pray these things in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.